You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's News, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's Saturday, it's 5 p.m., and I'm hungry. I'm Andre Pru. And I'm Maroki Tong. <laughs> Andre, and maybe Saturday we may be hungry, but you know what we're very behind the ball on? I think I know what you're about to say. Is it Mother's Day? Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah Mother's Day weekend is next weekend. And if uh, you great. folks haven't been making plans. <laughs> you know what? This is the best thing. I was actually worried because um, I love my mother very much. Like my mother comes to visit me a couple times a year from Saskatchewan. Um, and mothers are very important. I, I just need to preface what I'm saying with this. But I, I don't pay super close attention to when Mother's Day or Father's Day is because as much as I think it's important that mothers and fathers be recognized, it still feels very much like a Hallmark holiday. So it does tend to creep up on me. So when you said Mother's Day, I had a mild moment of panic that uh, it was this weekend and not next weekend. Mm. You know, I think it's one of those things probably for me growing up, like Mother's Day, Father's Day was very much a North American thing that was taught to me in school. Yes. Um, And I think as a result, you know, I have these very like romanticized notions of what they are. Because, you know, when you're a kid in school, it's like, oh, you must like... You know, I remember I, I remember one specific one where um, it was for Father's Day. Actually, it wasn't for Mother's Day, but we had to like draw a daily I, like a, an itinerary of things to do with our dads for the day. Okay, right? And you're a kid, so it's like I don't know, like go to the park or do this, and you can't actually do it unless your dad takes you because you're seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, a dad or a mom. So it was like a thing that I think when I became old enough to be able to properly treat my mother for mother's day you know it's like i have a car i can drive my mother places now i can actually treat her it became something that, that i wanted to aspire to i think that's great and i mean i i actually very much feel the feel the same way where um this mother day mother's day i know i just called it a hallmark holiday hits a little bit different uh because in my house it's my wife's first mother's day with i know Spencer that, in the that's house. And that's actually why I wanted to like ask you if you had anything for Mother's Day's plans because you know we're a food and drink show, but I will fully admit my mother wasn't much of a drinker mm-hmm. um, in my youth, and so the idea of taking her to brunch and bubbly was never really on my docket. And that's usually what comes across my feeds. What's usually what's being promoted to me on a regular basis. So, you know, unless unless that's exactly what you're planning on doing with your wife, like I want to know if you have like ideas of what else is there. You know, it's one of those things where I've been very careful as a as a wine writer over the past decade to be mindful of the whole like mommy culture. Because I remember when I started like back in, in 2010, there was a really large kind of voice of young mothers who would make light of wine, you know, make jokes about self-medicating and calling, you know, that glass of Chardonnay at the end of the day, mommy's little helper. And I always wasn't a big fan of it. Like I try to be super mindful about promoting things like uh, overconsumption and things like that. And I do love the idea of like a great mimosa with a good brunch, but I know in our house, it's really more focusing on just finding the best restaurant with the best brunch. And um, I'm taking my wife and my mother-in-law who's local uh, to Mira Mira. The menu just looks insane. We made the reservation a couple weeks ago as well. So like, if you're listening to this today and you had that mild moment of panic, it may not be too late for you, but you need mm-hmm. to be on top I, of this. These these reservations are going to be filling up pretty quickly. You need to be on top of this. And it's good for the restaurants as well, right? This is our PSA for, you know, our folks in hospitality is that it's important for them to know how much food they're bringing on the day, how much staff they're bringing on the day. 
Um, you know, you don't want to surprise them. I know there's a, f- a couple of restaurants that I've noticed. I think Rosedale Diner on Young, mm-hmm. their food is incredible. They were, they're quite strict. They are only accepting reservations. So if you're interested in restaurants like that, make sure you double check. They might not be taking walk-ins on the day. I mean, that's it. Like, this is where I say, like, you really need to be on top of things because, this is like the moment where everyone is actually planning doing the brunch. This isn't your regular Sunday Hallmark holiday. Mm-hmm. Hallmark holiday, be damned! You got to take your mom out for out for brunch. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what I did with for my mother. Actually, I think I did some wine tourism with my mother last year. She oh, had amazing. just come to visit Canada, so I took her out to Niagara on the lake um, and took her around all day. And we didn't finish with brunch, but we did finish with dinner in one of our local favorite restaurants. And I will say, I will say dinner sometimes is a little bit easier to get on that Sunday than, than brunch because of the popularity around mother's day brunch. So if you're willing to be flexible, it doesn't have to be brunch folks. You can look at taking your, your mother, your mother figure, whether, you know, um, by birth or chosen mother um, or mother figure out to dinner. I would totally highly recommend that, <laughs> especially hopefully, you know, if, if the if the weather forecast is all good, you can get a chance of doing a little bit of like alfresco. You know, I'm fortunate enough that I can make this joke because, like I said, I actually get along with my mother and my mother-in-law. I can't help but wonder if dinner isn't as popular on Mother's Day because people are just sick of their mothers by evening after spending a Sunday with them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Well, too dark, I, um, too dark. I would say <laughs> I would say some other options perhaps is like, you know, we talk a lot about food, but there's opportunities to sort of enjoy like food and and snacks when taking your mother out for a spa day as well. That's actually something I did do for my mother many years ago. I think it was like when I got my first real life paycheck uh, <laughs> you know, as a young adult taking my mother out to Langdon Hall actually. Oh my so gosh. we want to kind of yeah, I want to go. Uh, okay, so you really like your mom. West on the four hundred one. Yeah, we want to. Well, my first paycheck. I had to prove <laughs> that I was like a real adult and stuff. But if you go out towards Kitchener Waterloo on the on the four hundred one, um, Langdon Hall is a really lovely place to kind of do. Um, I think we actually did a spa and breakfast, so we didn't even get all the way to brunch. We did an early <laughs> early morning spa that was finished with a breakfast. You know, I think, like I said, I know we're a food and drink show, but out of all the things that you've just highlighted here, I, I think it's a thing where. Often, you and I, we talk about how different we are in terms of our lived experience, especially when it comes to food and drink. Like, you're one of my favorite people to taste wine with because of how different your mouth works compared to me. But I think the commonality about Mother's Day is you and I are on the same page. Like, don't get me wrong. I love sending my mom flowers once in a while. Um, but I think if I can get my mom an experience, it's just that whole thing of trying to build the memories. Because as much as it's nice to have flowers in the house and it's nice to send flowers to people, they they do die. But they're also, unless you're really like going all out and picking up a bomb ass bouquet, like they're not as memorable <laughs> as like having that really great meal at a really great restaurant where you can say, hey... You know, remember back in 2023 that, uh, Anya, your first Mother's Day was at Mira Mira, where, um, you know, your mother Jenny was there and we had the whole family together and baby Spencer was there. And, and you know, I, 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 I'm, I just know that no matter what the meal is going to be like, it's going to be a memorable experience. Mm. And I'm sure, and, I'm, know, sure your, to... and I'm sure your, your Mother's Day where you took your mother to Langdon Hall was probably equally memorable. I think she thought I was going to take her on a hot air balloon ride because I made her get up so early in the morning. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. 
You know, I'm, um, I'm terrified you know, of I'm terrified of heights. So don't ever surprise me with a hot air balloon ride. I, knowing me, I'm going to totally forget, and that's exactly what's going to happen, Andre. See, I'm, I'm all I'm going to remember at the end of this is hot air balloon ride and Andre. Oh my god! Clearly, it means I should book him a hot air balloon all ride. All right, all right, all right. I, yes, I think one one more thing I would probably mention too. You know, if we're not necessarily wanting to splurge on, you know, spa days and and restaurants because it isn't for everyone. I think actually another lovely experience is maybe do a picnic. With your mom like t- you know yeah. i think the weather's getting nicer there's picnic tables around the city there's a lot of parks with areas that you can sit and eat now grab yourself some like i don't know nice cheese sandwiches or just snacks what have you and go just like it's about quality time is really what is at the end of it right and if that quality time just means sitting outside and on you know on a balcony together or on a back patio together or just going to a park together i think that's a great opportunity as well I think that is sound advice. But like I said at the beginning of the segment, if you're hearing us talking about Mother's Day, don't worry. You didn't completely miss the boat. It's next weekend. And coming up after the break, uh, you actually lined up the topic for the next segment. And I'm not going to lie. I'm ready to hear you out on this because I'm not entirely sure where it's going to go. But your literal topic that's on the sheet that's in front of me. You see, listen to this. Printed up lineup is (laughs) hear me out food tips. So we'll find out what that means coming up after the break. On 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Andre Prue, before the break, we were teasing the segment, and I think we might have confused our listeners a little bit or gotten them intrigued. (laughs) I'm hoping intrigued because... I took a look at the, you, you basically put a little list together. I didn't want to give away any of your secrets, but um, <laughs> I'm not a coffee drinker. And I know the number one thing on your list was apparently adding salt to coffee does something. And then your, your little like segue on it was just like, hear me out. And you know, this is one of those things where like, I actually love, I love, love, love when you can find these sort of like little hacks or things around the kitchen, uh, so I want to hear what you said. I think I might have a couple to add to it once we go through some of them. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where I know you're not a coffee drinker, so you might have to just trust me on this. Or maybe you just have to, like, just do a science in the kitchen. And you're like, I don't love coffee, but I'm going to drink some coffee with and without salt. And my family is obsessed with coffee. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're to the level where, you know, um, the way you and our, I, you and I are with wine, my sister is to coffee. She is a coffee connoisseur. She buys all the different blends. She's very particular about when they go, you know, when the coffee is fresh, when it is stale, when it should be ground. She likes, she wants different coffee makers. Very, very, very particular. And she sent an article to our family that spoke about how, you know, adding um, salt to coffee is something that everyone should be doing because it is an effective way to reduce bitterness and enhance desirable flavors, which I suppose in some ways makes sense. I I, like, it's like, it sounds really nuts. And you know, it's not like you're sitting there pouring a pack of salt in the coffee. I think you're only supposed to use a few grains, but people have been adding salt to things for years to enhance their flavors. Oh, that's actually, so, so this is the thing about my, my, dislike of coffee it's not for lack of trying because i love the smell of coffee i think that 
anyone who doesn't at very least like the smell of coffee must be a little bit crazy because it is just like <laughs> a really nice smell. Like I love, you know, mocha, like when you get coffee and chocolate together, I like tiramisu because you don't get anything bitter with it. You know, it's just like this sweet enhancement to that, like earthy, smoky, like, you know, the smell of coffee, but I don't like the bitter taste. Like when I wake up in the morning, I don't think bitter. And I think it's the thing, like my, my drink of choice is Earl Grey tea because, you know, it's almost like a neutral sort of sweetness to it from the orange in it. But yeah. Mm. Wow. Um, I will, I, I promise you, I will try that this week to put a little bit of salt in the coffee to see if maybe I do like coffee with a bit of salt in it. Yeah, I mean, I personally haven't tried it yet myself, and it's on my docket, but it, I guess it's interesting because now that I think about it a lot, um, for those people who are, you know, enjoy, um, for people who enjoy bubble tea, there is a few bubble tea shops around Toronto now that allow you to add sort of like a salted milk foam oh, interesting. on top of your coffee. Yeah, and I always thought that was kind of strange, but that's, I think that's actually one of the reasons why they do that is I think it, 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 naturally enhances the flavors of coffee while toning down the saltiness and i was reading an article about coffee and apparently this is something that has been done for decades in places all around the world and in europe apparently northern scandinavia they've added salt to coffee for decades and in turkey it's traditional for the bride to prepare coffee with salt for her future husband as a premarital ceremony thing oh interesting so, yeah, so apparently some people have known it for a long time, and and we're just uh, getting in on the know now. Okay, but okay. There, there's there, there's yes. one I want to I want to throw at you uh, because this was something that like I'm I'm going to be 40 years old this year. I cook a lot, um, as I've mentioned. I like doing a lot of East Asian cooking, so a lot of Japanese, Korean, and Vietnamese cooking, which means I'm cooking with a lot of ginger in my house, and I've always used either. A vegetable peeler or a paring knife to get the skin off on the outside and it's just recently that I had a chef friend show me to use a spoon to get the skin off did you know this this little like hack I I did but I only ever used it for ginger so I never yeah. thought about using it to peel everything no 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 just for ginger just for ginger oh just for ginger just yeah, for yeah. ginger. yes I did know that but I think that that is like one of those tricks that are you know, are more like Amaz and Popo showed us like as, you know, Chinese kids. <laughs> oh, geez. Okay. So just something else I haven't been paying attention to. <laughs> well, one that I remember uh, coming across my radar uh, many years ago was being told that freezing wine is actually the best way to preserve wine. If you have wine that's left over and you're, you know, you're worried it's going to oxidize, you're not, you know, you want to save it for later and you don't consume a lot of wine, but you don't want it to go bad, that freezing it actually changes its chemical makeup the least. I haven't heard that. Really? I mean, I'll be honest, I don't usually have problems with leftover wine in my house. I mean, that's probably the counter joke to a lot of it. But yeah, ah. that's what I've been told that it yeah. actually is, you know, for the for for all intents and purposes, it's a pretty physical change only, but it doesn't actually change its chemical construct all that much if you freeze wine. So if you have some good wine laying around the house and you don't want it to go bad, whether and, you know, even if it's used for cooking, you don't necessarily want mm. the most oxidized wine for cooking but if you want your wine to stay fresher for longer freeze it yeah i'm a little curious this is something i might be i might want to try maybe with something that i would drink i mean i've i've done the mistake of 
you know, using the Canadian cooler, leaving a bottle of Riesling outside when it's minus 10 outside and leaving it outside a little bit too long and having it freeze and having the top pop off of it. But I've never thought of deliberately freezing wine. So that is, huh, that is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. There is one on the list. I actually saw this on uh, Instagram during the pandemic where it blew my mind how well it worked. Um I fell off the microwave popcorn train and then uh, I was watching Sex in the City, of all things, with my wife during the pandemic. It was one of the many, many shows that we we binge watched while we were trying to keep our minds occupied. And um, we were inspired to buy microwave popcorn because of an episode where Charlotte is eating microwave popcorn. And um, <laughs> the thing I saw on Instagram was you you pop your bag of popcorn and instead of ripping open the bag... Uh, you you maybe open it a little bit, enough for the kernels to come out, but not for the actual popcorn to come up. Flip the bag upside down and do it over the sink or in the garbage, and you get all the unpopped kernels out of the bag, so you just get this delicious bag of popped corn. Yep. I remember seeing that one, and it's just one of those things where it's like, it's been around forever, but we never knew, and they never told anyone that that was the way to be doing it. Well, there we go. There we go. Some food hacks for everyone. And this one's a little less of a food hack, but one of the things I do when I am eating takeaway sushi or, you know, using disposable chopsticks is I always take the paper that the wooden chopsticks came in and you fold it up twice and then fold it, um, I guess, suppose horizontally, it creates a little chopstick holder. For your chopsticks so that you don't always have to be balancing your chopsticks precariously on your bowl or in your takeaway container. You can just have a cute little chopstick holder that you can discard afterwards. Oh, there's another. Well, there you go. I think you're just full of all the food hacks. I think the only food hack I have is uh, if you've got recipes that call for like cups and, and tablespoons and teaspoons, uh, I prefer using a food scale. And yeah, it's annoying. I have to ask Google all the time how much a cup of this weighs, how much a cup of that weighs, but it's more precise and you end up with better results. So food scales. There we go. Not really a life hack. I guess just <laughs> just advice from a home cook that's been whipped into shape by a chef. <laughs> well, the reason why I wanted to bring up talking about chopsticks and takeaway containers is because this month we're rolling into Asian Heritage Month and I was trying to find a clever segue into talking <laughs> about Asian Heritage Month because it is something that is near and dear to my heart. Yes, I, I imagine so. And I, uh, you know, it's one of these things where I don't think Asian Heritage Month is as bright and shiny as some of the other um, important days that take place throughout the year. I don't want to single any one out, so it sounds like I'm throwing shade. But I'm. it looks like we're, we're going to be dedicating quite a bit of this month to Asian Heritage Month. We are, Andre, and coming after the break, we're going to dive right headlong into it with one of the big guns from the last season of Top Chef Canada. Coming up, we're talking to Chef Des Lowe on Tasting Together 640 Toronto. You're listening to Tasting Together. Toronto's News, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Andre, you're well aware that it's Asian Heritage Month this month, right? (laughs) I am now. I mean, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I guess pulling behind the curtain, you've done a lot of work lining up for the next next month, the whole month we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about this. And it's one of those things as well where, you know, I think as a society... We put a lot of attention on to Black History Month, and it just 
there are a lot of other people that need to be recognized in, you know, what has traditionally been a pretty uh, lily-white history of Canada, right? Exactly, and it, you know, it's something I've become increasingly more passionate about, and you know me, Andre, I am a big Food Network fan, I'm a big Top Chef and Top Chef Canada fan, and I've been <laughs> following the chefs around Canada <laughs> obsessively since the last season ended, and I remember, you know, seeing Chef Desiree Lowe on Top Chef Canada last year, and I just wanted, I was just like, like craving an opportunity to have the opportunity to speak with her. So we have joining us today Chef Desiree Lowe, or known as Chef Des Lowe, uh, for those of you who are in the know with her, from Vancouver. Hey Chef Des, how's it going? Hi, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Hello everybody. Well, I've been following your journey since Top Chef Canada, and there's this clear pride that you show for your heritage, you show your food, you know, what, I, what you eat and make, and but I, I also know that you bring a lot of your French culinary training into your food and some of the stuff I've seen you create, you kind of talk about it East meets West style and I would love to hear your thoughts on this because we've talked about it with different chefs across the board in the, you know, in the last while. What are your thoughts on fusion cuisine and where do you think it sits in the culinary mosaic? Well, for me, fusion is not just, you know, I mean, yeah, that's what I'm known for, that's what I like to do. Like, you know, I grew up in Asia, but spent pretty much most of my childhood uh, in New York. So for me to marry all the different cultures together makes sense for me. I would spend something that I like to do, you know, growing up in Taiwan, Hong Kong. And it's something that I experiment or experience new um, type of culture or cuisine in New York. And I just feel, hey, you know what, this makes sense together. I think as long as they mix sense together, you're not putting chocolate on the ramen. I think, you know, it just, for me, as long as it makes sense to you, people will feel your love and will feel your idea. That's how I think it will work. And especially, like, you know, being in New York, there's so many chefs who inspire me. The OG Food Network, which you know, will be like uh, Ming Ming Tai. He's like the godfather yes. of, like, Chinese fusion and has brought so many amazing um, uh, recipes to Food Network going up watching them is so inspirational and of course you have Eddie Fong, you know, Fred of the Boat, and you know David Chang and Mia Lo and, and all those chefs just brought the right fusion to us. You know, a lot of the chefs that you just mentioned, and I, I think when we're, we're thinking a lot about fusion, it's often Asian cuisine meeting you know, European or French cuisine. Do yeah. you think that we're at a point in Canada where you know, we're really seeing the voices of children, immigrants that are not just fusion, really coming to the forefront of the culinary world. Do you think there's a limit to fusion? Are we going to start seeing some more of, I don't know, let's say, you know, Chilean cuisine meets Indian cuisine or anything like that? Or is there a limit to, uh, to what we can do? Because I know you just said things need to make sense. Uh, no, I think it's a lot of the, you know, even like the spices that you eat, like Tibetan, you know, they are very also known for their stew and, and, and like light um, fare of like curry style. But then doesn't mean that you can't juice it up with a little bit of the Indian spices. I think it's just as long as they don't taste disgusting, it's fine. Like a lot of my style is like, I love fusion, like, you know, maybe Korean and Chinese, you know, even like Chinese and Indian, 
I have done like Thai food with like Vietnam, like just things that just similar flavor profile. It, I think it really works. And there's a lot of Peruvian, actually Asian cuisine coming out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I really appreciate. Uh, I really appreciate the insight on that, and I'm looking forward to seeing like what the future of cuisine looks, especially in Toronto here, where you know I've been pretty critical mm. of the the Michelin Guide. Um, you know, just being, I, frankly, I think it was a lazy look at how things work in in Toronto, and I hope the future is a little bit brighter. But focusing on on you here, um, you were an investment banker who changed careers. I think for a lot of the the chefs, and there's a lot of people in the in the food scene that I know that tend to go the other way, where they start out in kitchens, get frustrated with the grind, and head for greener pastures in an office in a cubicle somewhere. What what's up with that? And I feel like that's like yeah, and I feel like it's so different for us because like uh, I feel like for a number of us, like especially you know children of immigrants um at least yeah. like i'm a child of it of immigrants i'm trying i'm canadian born but i'm you know the child of immigrants there's so much tension around choosing what we're passionate about and what is stable or what our parents expected like i was supposed to become an engineer and i spent 10 years as an actor instead right so right, i would right. love to, yeah like you know as andre said like you know that what's up with that change and what would you say to anyone who perhaps is like hitting a crossroads in their career around our age group or maybe a young person who wants to chase their dream well, luckily, I was able to snap out of my, okay, don't get me wrong, money helps, all right? Um, <laughs> it was a great job, six figures, making US dollar, okay? It was nice, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but it wasn't fulfilling. And as, at some point, you got to look at your life. It's like, I can do this for another 10 years and be like, oh my God, and then I'll be in my 40s. Now that I'm in my 40s, I don't look like it. I know it, but I can feel it. Your body is not the same. Like, are you going to wait till in your late 40s or 50s to realize your dream? Or you want to do it when you're still young and able? And it's okay to share a bed with someone to fund, you know, to kind of share an apartment. You don't want to do that when you're older. You see what I mean? Like, you want to just try it out. And I, a lot of my, you know, like career day or I have people who ask me, like, you know, can you just come and talk to the students and inspire them. And I just really want to use this uh, platform to also tell the parents that like, it's good to, you know, nurture your children to give them what they want to do. But I think that it's also important to realize that they might share your DNA, but they don't necessarily share your dreams and bring cells and talents. Just because you're a doctor doesn't mean they want to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. You know, that doesn't mean that they they have the capabilities to be a doctor. You have to see what they're capable of doing. The more you push them, the more you're going to push them away. That's how I feel. And I'm very mm -hmm. lucky that my parents, they, luckily I have a brother. So that, you know, we actually share the responsibility of not disappointing our parents. <laughs> but um, but I did, I did do what they want, right? I went to NYU. I got a business degree. I w worked on Wall Street. I worked at Morgan Stanley, one of the best investment banks in the world. But it wasn't who I am. And I wanted to do it. I did. But the longer I was in New York and after 9-11, when the whole thing just crumbled in front of my eyes, I felt like life is too short. Like, I can't just keep doing this. Like, it just wasn't me. And my parents didn't understand for a little bit. But now they're, my father passed. But before he passed, he was very happy that I follow my path and not his path. And my mom supports me 100% right now. So, you know, it all pays off. Just do what you got to do. Yeah. If it doesn't work, walk away. 2023. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I, I know that this show isn't typically like a big uh, advice on life show, but I think that's a great advice that can apply to anybody sitting in the car right now, you know, especially if you're having doubts about what you're doing, like pick yourself up and, and, and head where you're head where you're going. Like you'll figure out what you, what you, what you really want to do. Um, yeah. As we're wrapping up on the interview here, um, Asian Heritage Month is such an important time to celebrate Asian culture but to uh, also reflect on the work that needs to be done as a society at large. Um, one of my favorite things about food, one of my favorite th things about working with Maroki is our experiences are so different, but we really love to share them with each other and with the listeners. Um, I'd like for you to share just real quick here, what are you planning on doing with dumplings during the next month here? Oh, right. Um, so dumpling events is just, um, you know, we couldn't put it together for May, the, the Asian Heritage Month, but we're hoping to be able to just bring people together, you know, through storytelling, through um, just finding time to spend time with each other, right? We're just so busy with day-to-day -day lives, so busy, like always thinking like if there's next time, but what if there's no next time? Where if something happens that you never get to spend time with your loved ones? So any opportunity we get, we should try to celebrate and dumplings. Who doesn't like dumplings? <laughs> so a good way to get people together, who, get, who brings people together. Well, that's wonderful, Chef Des. And for those of you who want to check out the event and see what Chef Des Lo is up to, make sure you follow her on Instagram, chef.des, D-E-Z-L-O-L-O. Thank you so much, Chef Des, for joining us. I really hope to get a chance to make it out to the West Coast so that I can eat your food in person. I would love to meet both of you in person. If I ever go to Toronto, I'll hit you guys up. Right on. Looking forward yes, to absolutely. it. Yes, absolutely. Oh, coming up after the awesome. break, rosé season is upon us. And we're going to be taking a look at whether or not Snoop Dogg made the summer rosé that you should be sipping. What do you think, Maroki? I have opinions, but I'm sure you have opinions too. So to find out what our thoughts are, stick around. We'll be back shortly after the break on Tasting Together, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Okay, Andre Prue, whether the season is warm enough or not, I have officially declared that it is rosé season. I'm here for it. And we are joined by Danny Longo of the Global Newsroom. Danny, are you excited for rosé season? I'm always excited for rosé season. And for me, it always is rosé season. That's what I always like to hear. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's it, it's so funny because I know one of the big things we want to talk about on this segment is to kind of, um, I guess, undo or break all the myths and stereotypes around rosé. And we just don't, we kind of rolled right into a stereotype by saying it's rosé season. <laughs> I think that's great. We can only drink rosé when the weather is warm. And that is absolutely untrue. All right. Well, this is where... Um... We don't spend a lot of time talking about one of the many things I do outside of being a radio host on this show, um, but I actually run a small wine business in Niagara called the ADX Wine Company, and our cornerstone product is rosé. So I guess for this segment, I'm going to be working with the two of you to try to bust some myths on, um, on rosé. And I'll tell you one thing, rosé should be a year-round wine. But I can tell you, as someone who sells rosé, like we sell about 300 cases of rosé a year, um, our sales dip hard in the winter. Once that mercury drops below like five degrees, nobody is drinking rosé anymore except for us. What, what is it? What is it? Do people just like seeing like the pink glass when they're outside and the sun is out. Is that it? Uh, yeah, I think that might be that might be it. I mean, there's just like certainly a spring feel to it, like those light pink wines. I I really don't have like a a, a super answer to it but i also think 
that if we're talking about the past 20 years in general, the quality of rosé has gotten significantly higher. And I think if we talk to any one of our parents' vintage, um, you say the words white Zinfandel to them, and that's probably what a lot of them are thinking about when it comes to rosé or rosé adjacent. Mm-hmm. Well, since we're talking about good and bad wines, I know one of the things that spurred us into wanting to talk about rosé outside of the fact that, you know, we're rolling into warmer weather is that a couple of weeks ago we were tasting some of LCBO's greatest new releases <laughs> and one of the lineup was the very noted Snoop Dogg rosé from 19 Crimes. Oh my god. Um it actually makes me angry how bad the Snoop Dogg wines are. Uh we tasted it at this at this release event and it's it's a California rosé. It is high in alcohol, it is high in sugar. Um, it is basically a hangover waiting to happen. Um, you know, if you're thinking about the stereotypes of why people don't like rosé, that's what it is. And the thing that blew my mind is I was talking to some of the people at the LCBO. Apparently it sells very well. And I can guarantee there's people sitting in their cars right now who are likely going to head to the LCBO to buy a bottle of it to see if it's as bad as Andre says it is. Let's kind of dive into rosé as a whole. Sure. And... And kind of talk about some of the myths that people have around rosé to convince people that they should be just drinking more rosé overall. Time to revisit it if you've had a bad experience in the past because rosé is serious wine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not going to go in order here. We did find you know this article online that talked about busting the myths of rosé. And one of the ones was that rosé wine doesn't go well with food. And maybe it's because I talk about and blog about food and drink so much, but I actually almost always recommend rosé pairing well with food. It's like one of the most versatile wines out there. So I don't know where this one came from. You know, I think a lot of people actually do think that. And and I'm not going to lie. The reason why my little wine company started making rosé, our main customers are restaurants and a really well-made rosé. I've said in the past that rosé is a Swiss army knife when it comes to pairing with food. If you're trying to impress house guests with a really dynamite pairing, make it look like you know a lot about wine. Buy a really nice rosé. And you can put next to virtually anything next to it. I'm still not convinced that a well-made rosé will pair with, you know, like a piece, a good piece of grilled red meat. I like eating a rare steak. I don't think a rosé has the concentration of flavors to blast through all that fat and, you know, just red meaty goodness. But I mean, I, I, I'm more than happy to have the debate with the Tuvian revisit that. Oh, I disagree. I have definitely paired rosé with steak, and I have straight up told people, rosé has that skin contact. That's what makes it pink. And that, therefore, if you want to pair something with steak, but you don't necessarily want that big red, like big red on big red meat, and you want something to kind of brighten it up and have that contrast. We've talked about contrast a lot in our pairings. Rosé is the way to do it. It may, it might not be like the Provence style rosé, but a Tavel. All the way. You know, you touched on something there that I think is one of the big myths when it comes to uh, rosé. And that is where the color comes from. Um, I don't know. Have any of you ever... Th- Actually, let me let me frame this with two things. Have any of you ever thought that rosé was just red and white wine mixed together? No, I've never thought that. Yeah, some some things on this list were quite humorous. There, there are a lot. And actually, you can get some rosé on the market that is, in fact... A blend of red and white, but they're generally the more economic options. They're not the more premium rosés where what you do is you get the color from the skins of the grapes. Um, 
I, I know we've said this on the show before, but I think a lot of people don't really think about the fact that most red grapes, if you crush them and get the juice from them, the juice is actually white. And the way red wine is made is by letting the juice sit on the skins to extract the colors and the tannins. And rosé, you do the same thing just for a lot less time. And that's why they're light I, and pink. I knew that there were wines out there that were a mix of like, I um, knew there were rosés out there that were uh, made out of purely red grapes. I've also known that there were rosés out there that were a blend of red and white. The one thing I will challenge you on is I do think there are premium rosés out there that are a blend of red and white grapes, but that is when they make the conscious decision to bring in white grapes because they think it will impart a flavor that is unique and different and not just because they are being careless in their winemaking process. I think that's fair, but but it's also I think I think we're dealing with like the French language right now. You know, I made a, I made the generalization and you're right. Like there are exceptions to the rule and if we sat down and, and busted it out, I'm sure we'd find a list of quite a few exceptions just like every verb you conjugate into French. Yes. And actually, maybe um, moving off of that, there is one myth as we close up the segment that I really want to uh, break down. And it's that rosé is a woman's drink. You know, do not genderize alcohol, people. I will right. sit there and I will take you. That was one I will fight you to the end of the earth on. You know, wine marketing as a whole is still something that really, really bothers me. Like if you walk through, I mean, there there is data behind this that largely more expensive wines are still being purchased by older males and that women are drinking more affordable, cheaper wines from the general list of the LCBO, like their sales data to back that up. But, you know, when you're seeing things, we talked about it earlier, like when I was in segment one, when you and I were talking about like mommy wine and, and the problem with that, it's just like we still see a lot of that wine marketing that is basically treating women the way you know, beer companies treated men in the 80s and 90s. Products like Little Black Dress and Stiletto that are just like so tied to this like party culture as opposed to, you know, we spend a lot of time on this segment and on this show talking about how wine is an agricultural product and it's just doing, I think it's just doing harm and it's doing harm to the general culture of, of drinking responsibly. There we go. I'll get off my soapbox mm -hmm. and I hope I didn't knock the window to your sales, Maroki. No, but I'd be curious to hear what Danny has to say when it comes to rosé being a woman's thing or a gendered product. Oh, you're putting us both yeah. on the spot now. <laughs> no, I definitely... That was that was the one I found the most humorous. It was just so ridiculous to me that uh, any kind of alcohol would be branded for either gender. So, I mean, you know, if women happen to like it more than men, like, that's fine. I, I don't think that's the case, but uh, just even the fact that it was pointed out was... Uh, a little bothersome and, and you know they mentioned that maybe the fact that it's pink it's like oh really really are we going there with that and it's like so man i i wear like a pastel pink toque all winter it's my favorite winter hat and i still get like comments on like being a man that wears pink it's just like come on guys it's it's 2023 it's so weird right. you know yeah well I, I mean that might be that i mean that might be why right when you talk about you know women buying more rosé it could also be from it could also be from a fact that his you know kind of like in traditional marketing men didn't wear pink so maybe they're resistant to buying rosé but in the end you're drinking at the end the glass is empty and there's no more pink in it okay so if you may buy that rosé enjoy that rosé and at the end of it there's no more pink in your glass just you drink know, it faster you know maroki i would say that you're a glass half 
full person with that comment, but it turns out you're a glasses empty kind of person, which I'm all here for. <laughs> Never waste your wine. Enjoy, drink moderately, but enjoy it all to the last delicious drop. So coming up next week in this segment, we are going to be continuing uh, with our Asian Heritage Month theme. Um, I know, Maroki, you've got something up your sleeve. I'm really looking forward to unpacking it. But if you want to talk a little bit about food pairings with Asian cuisine, uh, I'm going to be slapping my own wrist next week at the fact that I referred to Asian cuisine as a catch-all. You'll have to find out why. <laughs> so make sure you set your alarms for Saturdays at 5 p.m., folks, and we'll see you next week on Tasting Together 640 Toronto.